Romans chapter 2. Jonah chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. From inside the pitch, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You held me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swelled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life out from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Jane. Well, it's the kids' ministry show this evening, and I am always very happy about that. Welcome to church for those of you in the building and for those of you at home. It's so nice to see faces, um, but it's also wonderful to join with you over a screen. Welcome. Well, I love that as children's minister, I get to open the book of Jonah with you today. It's become something of a children's ministry classic, hasn't it? You can find endless videos, endless stories, particularly for children teaching the book of Jonah. But what I've noticed is that it doesn't take long as you scratch beneath the surface of this book to realize it's much more than kind of a throwaway line about a man in a fish, isn't it? It's actually much more than a children's picture book. It's a very rich book of the Bible. It's in fact a very adult book of the Bible, really. And it's wonderful to dig into it thinking in terms of its richness. Let's look beyond just the fish. We're going to see a merciful God at work for his people. It's a truly wonderful book. I wonder if you are a little bit like me and you felt at times as though things are just too big, too immense, too unfixable or undoable. We can look at the six-month anniversary of COVID, for example, and see the 500,000 deaths that that we've witnessed around the globe. And it can feel insurmountable at times, can't it? We can look at all of the tension between races and cultures around the globe and here at home, and it can feel unfixable at times, can't it? It can feel hopeless at times, can't it? We can look at the layering of crises upon crises in places like Lebanon, who are struggling to feed their people. And it can bring us to a place of hopelessness often. Now, maybe that's just me, and you're much more of an optimist. But at times in this big world, it's hard not to feel like things are insurmountable every once in a while. And so it's poignant that we meet our reluctant prophet Jonah in a very physical experience of something that is insurmountable, unfixable. We left him in chapter 1, having been 
thrown overboard very drastically by the sailors, supposedly to his death. And the end of the chapter simply states, the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And now in chapter 2, we get to hear from this reluctant prophet of the prayer he prayed inside that fish. Now set on dry land, he brings us into his prayer from within his salvation. It's a beautiful Thanksgiving psalm, the psalm of Jonah, we could call it. And as with Thanksgiving psalms, often they give us the main point straight up. The top and the tail tell us exactly what it's all about. Have a look at verse 2 with me. In my distress, Jonah says, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help and you listened to my cry. It's a thanksgiving psalm to God for his rescue. I asked for your rescue, Lord, and you provided it, says Jonah. And then we see it tailed in verse 9. Salvation comes from the Lord, he says. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. It pretty much sums up Jonah's wonderful psalm. In fact, it pretty much sums up the book of Jonah, really. In fact, as kids minister especially, I could say it pretty much sums up the whole book of the Bible. In one short sentence, five simple words, salvation comes from the Lord. So we're going to look at salvation, what salvation it's talking about, how we are to receive it, and then we're going to look at how it comes from the Lord, why it comes from the Lord. But throughout, we're also going to see that in this psalm, there's kind of a bit of an asterisk sitting over it. Our reluctant prophet isn't a perfect prophet. His rich words aren't perfect words, and we're going to see that as we go along. So the first thing, salvation comes from the Lord. Well, our first question should be, salvation from what? You see, sometimes we teach this as though it's the fish that he needs saving from. The icky, acid-ridden, dark, awful place that I'm sure is the belly of a fish. But it's actually the opposite. You see, the fish is the provided salvation from something infinitely more treacherous, infinitely more insurmountable. The prophet of Jonah has been on a downward trajectory. We could go back to chapter 1, and we could start at verse 3, for example. He goes down to Jonah. Then in the next part of the verse, he literally steps off land level and goes down to sea level. In verse 5, we see him go from there to below the deck. He's on this downward path, the narrator seems to point us to. And you kind of think the hull of a ship is as far as he'll go until chapter 2. Have a look with me at verse 3. He's hurled into the depths, the very hearts of the sea, it says. And we get this picture of chaos and swirling and waves and breakers all around him and seaweed and all of this chaos. But he continues. Verse 5, the deep surrounds him. And verse 6, down to the roots of the mountains, he sank down. Down, down, down travels Jonah, as far as you can possibly go. In the realms of the dead, he describes his position. In fact, the word Sheol is used quite literally, the grave. Jonah has travelled from the land of the living to the land 
of the dead. It's a word to describe this underground, chaotic place as far separated from God as you could possibly be. Those in Sheol do not have access to the Lord. They are not in the presence of the Lord. You see, it's the water that Jonah is saved from. It's often used as this picture throughout Psalms and the book of Revelation as chaos and turmoil, as a picture of the brokenness, the immensity, the insurmountableness And it's from that chaos itself, from the place of the dead, that Jonah is saved from. That death in all of its fullness, body and soul, separation from the Lord, it's that that Jonah is saved by a fish, a giant fish. You see, salvation from death comes from the Lord death in all of its fullness and finality. But the second thing to note about this salvation is that it's a salvation that's asked for. Jonah asks of it from the Lord. Now, I want to pause here for just a moment and bring to you what I think is a really important part of this passage. Three-letter words are incredibly important in the Bible. We get the first of them in verse 4. He has basically been given what he's asked for. Jonah has tried to run from the presence of the Lord. When he ran to Tarshish, first on land and then on sea, he didn't just flee from God's plan. He wanted to flee from God's presence as well. And now we see in verse 4, I have been banished from your sight, he says. He's ironically got exactly what he wanted. But that next word is key. Yet, says Jonah, yet I will look again toward your holy temple, he says. He's as far from the Lord as he could possibly be. And yet, he turns again. The second three-letter word is in verse 6. He's in, barred in, as far as you can go, but, Jonah says, but you brought my life up from the pit, Lord my God. You see, disobedience is just not the end of the Bible story. It's not the end of the Christian story. Salvation from death is on offer, and it's always on offer from our God. In an insurmountable, hopeless situation. God hears our prayer of, yet I will. God hears our prayer of, but you, Lord. And he responds with mercy. And it's a wonderful reminder, isn't it, that there is just no such thing as too far gone for the Lord. There is just nothing we can do, no place we can go that is so far away that we can't turn back. So wherever you might be, you might be on dry land with Jonah by the end of his psalm. You might be deep in the depths. Or you might still be running from him or somewhere in the middle of all of those extremes. But friends, there is never a place too far not to turn back, to 
say, yet I will, Lord, but you, Lord. And so from the depths of the grave, we see this reluctant prophet start to rise back up. You, my Lord, brought me up from the pit, Jonah says. His prayer rose to the Lord. He will shout praises and sacrifice to the Lord. Only things you can do on land and with air in your lungs. And finally, the climax of his brilliant journey down to the depths and then back up. He lands on dry ground. Down he's descended in death and then up in resurrected life, you could say. And if you've been a Christian for a while, your alarm bells should be ringing for a similar journey down into death and up into life. You see, this is meant to point us forward to our Lord Jesus Christ, who in fact pointed to this very part of Jonah as the sign of Jonah. We heard it read by Tom last week, but I just want us to point to verse 40 in particular. Jesus says, For as Jonah was, in, was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jonah's journey of salvation is meant to point us to the greater journey of salvation. Not by us, but by Christ, by Jesus. And unlike Jonah, Jesus was obedient from the get-go to his Father's will. Unlike Jonah, who would rather die than go to Nineveh, Jesus would choose to die for his enemies. Jesus suffered every extremity of death, quite literally in Sheol, and he rose in victory. We're to take this image of descending to the dead and rising back to life and point it to the salvation that Jesus brings. Salvation from death is on offer. Salvation comes from the Lord. But as I mentioned, there is just a nagging asterisk that kind of hangs over some of Jonah's words. In Jonah 1, when he speaks of his God, he worships the God who made the land and the sea, but he says these words as he's quite literally fleeing from that God, first on land and then on sea. And so his words kind of drip with a bit of an irony, don't they? And this is similar. I wonder if this magnificent salvation experience that Jonah has had will change him. Will it soften his heart to the Ninevites? Will it mean he pursues their salvation as eagerly as he's received his own? And we're going to see that unfold in the coming chapters. But spoiler alert, I'm going to give it away now. It doesn't fully change him, does it? If we are disciples' friends, what does it mean if we accept salvation and then restrict it for others, no matter who they may be? You see... His theology is excellent. There's nothing wrong with what he knows of the Lord. But Jonah's heart is cold. And if you're a disciple listening in on Jonah 2 tonight, I pray that you and I would never make that same mistake. That we would know that salvation from death is on offer, that we have been gifted it. And may we share that freely with open hands. 
But if you aren't a disciple yet and you're listening into Jonah 2, my question to you is, well, what is it that you're waiting for to accept this salvation from death that's on offer to you? Can I encourage you not to be like Jonah, who waits to be in the very depths of death before crying out to God? Don't wait to be in the insurmountable ocean before you say, but you, Lord, yet I will, Lord. Salvation from death is on offer to you today. Don't wait. That salvation comes from the Lord. And a big question is, well, why? What is it that prompts the Lord to extend that salvation? And simply, it's out of his great mercy. Mercy is one of the key themes in the book of Jonah. From the very beginning, God has been wanting to extend his mercy to Nineveh. That's why he came to Jonah in the first place and told him to go. He displays such mercy to Jonah in chapter 2. We're going to see it traced through to Nineveh in chapter 3 and then back to Jonah in chapter 4. And we're meant to keep coming back to this theme. The Lord is merciful. I wonder if you've seen this man in your various news feeds or videos that pop up as you surf the internet. His name is Judge Caprio, and he has amassed about 2 billion views on YouTube so far. He now has a show nationally um, viewed across America that basically shows his courtroom and his day-to-day interactions with people who walk into his courtroom. And what's caught the eye of the public for this, on, for this judge is his mercy. He calls children up to the bench and has them pass judgment on their parents. He says to high schoolers that he'll drop tickets in, returning, in return for them going to college and having good attendance rates. He works out payment plans. He, in some cases, pays the fines himself. And it's striking, even in this day and age, that mercy seems so countercultural. These people walk into his courtroom expecting punishment and judgment. And you can see it, their heads are low, their voices are shaking, they're fearful. And then they walk out having received mercy, and they are transformed people. Their heads are high, they're laughing, they're joking, they're joyful. Even in this day and age, mercy, in its true form, is radical. Outrageous mercy is winsome and attractive and exciting to people. And yet, how much more do we see that in the story of Jonah? How much more is this true of a merciful God? He didn't need Jonah. In fact, Jonah's proving to be more of a liability than anything, this guy. And yet God chooses not just to show punishment and judgment. He chooses to save and restore and use. See, our Lord, from whom salvation comes, is the perfect, merciful judge. Salvation comes from the Lord purely out of his mercy. We can't save ourselves from sin nearly as much as Jonah could have saved himself from drowning in that immense tumultuous ocean. There's a beauty in that picture, isn't there? Because something has to reach in and pluck him out, whether it be a lifesaver in this modern day and age or a giant fish for Jonah. 
the Lord is our lifesaver. Our salvation has to come from him. The Lord Jesus descended to the death, the very realm of the dead, to secure your life and mine. But again, and I hate to ruin that poignant moment, but there is just this tinge of an asterisk. And part of why I love the book of Jonah is it's so humorous and ironic. All the way through, you get these pictures of just contrasts that don't seem to fit easily. Where Jonah is quick to run, the pagan sailors are quick to repent and worship. Where chaos reigns, Jonah naps. Where death should have taken hold, a giant fish intercedes. And even in this high point in the story of this prophet, Jonah still seems more concerned with himself than the Lord somehow. In the short nine verses of his psalm, he references I ten times and me nine times. And the subject of almost every verse is Jonah, not the Lord. Now, don't get me wrong, I sound like a cynic and I know that. I think he's genuinely thankful for this salvation experience. I don't think he's lying by any means. Who couldn't praise God after what he's witnessed? But there's just this hanging asterisk of a lack of maybe responsibility from Jonah as he describes what's happened to him, but not what he's done to contribute to that situation by any means. My life is in jeopardy, Lord. I was in chaos, Jonah says. I look to you. I will not be like those who turn away from you. He's missed the fact that it's only out of God's mercy that he's been saved. Our salvation shows us more about God than it does us. Our salvation shows more about his mercy than it does anything to do with our behavior or holiness. Three-letter word coming up, but. Isn't it such a comfort to know that God doesn't just use the perfect, holy, ready-to-go people in his biggest plans? Isn't it such a comfort to know that he chooses, more often than not in the Bible, to use the messy people and the broken people people that just don't have it all together yet, that kind of get it, but don't fully get it yet. What a comfort that he doesn't wait for us to be perfect, to involve us in his perfect plans. In this immense world, friends, there is a seemingly insurmountable toil, tension, chaos at times, and it can feel like we're Jonah, kind of drifting in this ocean, unable to get up and out and onto dry land. And this psalm is such a beautiful picture of what our merciful God does to his reluctant prophet to remind us that the only thing that's insurmountable is God, and the only thing that's insurmountable is his purposes. Nothing will thwart him, friends. And he chooses to provide us with hope. We're not left in hopeless insurmountableness. We're left with a wonderful salvation that's on offer. A certain hope. From the one thing that we need saving from. Separation from the Lord forever. Our sinfulness. Our finiteness. He descended into Sheol and he rose again. 
And it's why Revelation 21 promises us that there will be no more sea, friends, no more turmoil, no more chaos, no more death. He's pulled us up out of the pit and set us on dry land. So be encouraged, St. Andrews. Salvation from death is secured. Take heart, my friends here in the building and watching at home. Salvation is on offer to you today. Stand firm, brothers and sisters. Our Lord is abounding in mercy. And I pray that you have hope, church. Salvation comes from the Lord. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that out of your mercy, you chose to save. We thank you that you sent your son to the cross so that we might live. And we thank you that in this chapter of Jonah, we see a very real picture of what your son has already done for us. We pray that we might live lives that reflect the salvation that comes from you, Lord, that we might live and breathe these words, that we might have hope, Lord, each day, come what may. Amen.